Well, it's great to be with you today. And before we get into the message, I just want to say thank you to many of you who have, you know, sent us um, messages and just, you know, your, your communication to us since our news has got out, Sarah and I and our family's news about our future. I know some of you are still catching up on that news that, that really over these last couple of years, God's been speaking to us about our future and calling us into a new season and um, that we will be moving on from Kings. And we just want to thank many of you for just getting in touch with us. And just to say, and hopefully quite soon, we'll be able to give you a little bit of an update on what's going on with us. And also how maybe you can just kind of keep tabs with us as to how the future kind of opens up and what God is calling us to do. So, but thank you for so many of you who have uh, got in touch with us. But today I have the privilege of finishing our series. We've been teaching out of Luke uh, really talking about God's kingdom. And I'm going to preach out of Luke 12. And I'm going to focus particularly on a middle section, although we're going to reference other bits. And we're going to jump in at verse 13. And here's what it says. Someone in the crowd said to him, Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard Against all kinds of greed, life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, about your body or what you will wear, for life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens, they do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wild flowers grow. They do not labour or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more would he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the poor, poor, provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Be dressed, ready, For service, keep your lamps burning like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. A few years back, uh, 
myself and Sarah and some friends, we went out for a meal down somewhere, I think near West Wickham. So if you're at the Beckenham site, somewhere down your kind of neck of the woods. And we went, it was a Chinese restaurant and it was one of those restaurants where uh, it kind of had different set menus and you paid a certain amount and then you could order pretty much whatever you liked off this menu. And I remember we, I think that was a group of six of us. We didn't really know what we were ordering. Um, but we kind of just went for it anyway. So we just ordered a whole range of different foods and we had no framework for kind of quite how much we'd ordered, but we thought we'd done a reasonable job. So we ordered our food, the waiters went off and then after a little while, about 10 minutes later, they started coming back and they came with about four or five dishes. And then another waiter came with about another three or four. We thought, okay, that's enough. And then they came with more and then they came with more. And in the end, it's like we're getting overwhelming amounts of food on our table so that we can't even store it on the table. So we're beginning to sort of stack. We're beginning to borrow other people's tables. It's beginning to get really embarrassing because they keep bringing more. In fact, I think it was one of those restaurants where, uh, you know, if you don't eat everything, if there's wastage, you then pay extra for the wastage. So we were the, it just kept coming and kept coming and kept coming to the point that we were just embarrassed by people watching us and amounts of food we had on our table. And we were there for hours trying to eat all this food. In fact, one of our friends is still there to this very day trying to finish it all off. Now, obviously, that's not true, although I haven't seen him for some time. But when I read this passage, it really reminded me of that experience because you read it and then it's like Jesus, there's just more. Jesus keeps saying more. There's more things he keeps saying which are profound and challenging and it just keeps coming. But right in the middle of the passage is this very simple but very profound story about a man who invests his life in the ways that he thinks is the best things to invest in, but he discovers he gets it completely wrong. In other words, he misses his entire life. And it's a very sobering and challenging story. And I wanna, if you like, finish this series by focusing on that story, but also what Jesus teaches around it. And I want us to see, and I want us to draw out some key, if you like, principles about kingdom living. Now this story, if you notice, begins with an interruption. So it begins with Jesus, you know, somebody shouts out to Jesus um, about will he get involved in sorting out a dispute. Now, I've preached in this church for quite a few years and I've had, I would say, more than my fair share of interruptions when I've been preaching. I've had people shouting out at me, just kind of getting up and walking out and saying what they're not happy with. I've had people heckle me in quite funny ways, including my wife who told me I, I deserved it. And I probably did. I've even, I remember having two weeks running, mid-service, mid mid-message, the fire alarm went off. This was in the Catford building. Two weeks running, the fire alarm went off. Um, as I'm halfway through, so everybody has to get up and leave. And this happened two weeks running, and there are a couple of theories circulating about this. Either my preaching was so dull and so boring that someone was so desperate to leave that they smashed the fire alarm just to get everybody out of the building. Let's just do something. You have to finish, stop this guy from preaching. Or, and my own personal favourite, was that my preaching was so on fire that I was just spontaneously setting off fire alarms. So you can choose which one you think is more likely. But Jesus is there and someone shouts out and interrupts him and says to Jesus, I want you to arbitrate in this dispute about property. And what's really interesting is Jesus says, I'm not going to get involved. Like who made me judge over you? I'm not going to arbitrate between the two of you. Now, what's really interesting about that is when you read through chapter 12, actually Jesus says he does come to judge. 
He does come to arbitrate. He does come to draw lines and divide. He says very provocatively in verse 51, he says this, do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two and two against three. And this is confusing to us because Jesus is the Prince of Peace, right? Yes, absolutely. And he's come to bring reconciliation, hasn't he, right? Yes, he has. And that's how we like to think of it. And he's, and he's come to bring us back to the Father. That's true as well, absolutely. But Jesus also allows us to choose whether we will respond to him or not. And you read through the Gospels, you'll find that Jesus keeps calling people, calling them to follow him, but he also keeps allowing them to choose. So he calls a bunch of fishermen, leave your nets, leave everything and follow me. And they do it. They choose to do it. But then he meets the rich young man, rich young ruler, and says, sell everything you have and then come after me. And the guy can't do it. He can't choose. And part of kingdom living, part of following Jesus and living a kingdom life, if you like, is that you have to choose. You have to choose whether you're going to follow him or not. You can't live, if you like, with a feet in both camps. You have to choose. Am I going to surrender my old life and make him Lord of my life and follow him, or am I not? And what's interesting, you could argue that, if you like, this whole section of Scripture is bookended really with examples of people who are struggling to choose, who don't want to choose, who want to live with a foot in both camps. So right at the start of chapter 12, Jesus talks about, he says, be, be on your guard for the yeast of the Pharisees, which he says he calls hypocrisy. In other words, that they have the look of someone religious, but their hearts are far away from God. And then at the end of the whole section, which is really into chapter 13, if you kind of read it through, he then talks about a, a kind of a story about a fig tree in a vineyard. Now, both of those things, fig trees and vineyards, are often references to the people of Israel. And he basically talks about this tree that looks like a fig tree, but doesn't bear any fruit. And Jesus is warning them, be on your guard, watch out for, if you like, fruitless lives where there's a facade of religiousness where we look like we're living close to God, where we're going through the motions, but our hearts in reality are far away. Don't live, in other words, Jesus is saying, a conflicted, divided life where you try to live with your, life, your feet in both camps, where you never fully choose God because ultimately you miss your life, is what he's saying. You live, in the end, a fruitless life. And that phrase that he uses right at the start, chapter one, be on your guard, comes up again in verse 15. Same phrase, watch out, be on your guard. This time, he focuses even further. He says, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. In particular, if you like, he zones in on the issue of money and possessions. When it comes to kingdom living, Jesus is saying and implying, be very, very careful about how you handle money, how you handle possessions, and what place you give them in your heart. Because what place you give money in your heart will absolutely impact what kind of life you live. Now, money and possessions are not the only thing that Jesus warns about, by any means. But he does talk about it a lot. In fact, four chapters later, he says these quite famous words. Chapter 16, 
No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. In other words, they're mutually exclusive. Now, a few weeks ago, Sarah and I, were, we were out for a walk with our dog. We got a one-year-old uh, retriever called Amber. We were out for a walk and Sarah decided that we did a little experiment. Now, it's okay, you don't need to call the RSPCA. It's not like that kind of experiment. But we did a little experiment to see who she would follow. So now I already knew what was going to happen because I, I didn't really want to do this particular game because I knew what was going to happen. But basically what happened was we, we stood together and then when we said go, we both ran in opposite directions to see who the dog would follow. I already knew, Sarah's like, oh, she'll follow you. And I'm like, no, she won't follow me, she'll follow you. Anyway, we do the experiment and surprise, surprise, the dog looks at me, thinks, nah, and then runs off and follows Sarah because the dog has chosen Sarah to be the dog whisperer in our family. The point is, Amber couldn't choose both of us. She couldn't, she couldn't have both of us. She had to go one way or the other. And surprise, surprise, she chose Sarah. And Jesus is saying, you cannot have both God and money in first place in your life. He's not saying you can't have any money. He's not saying it's not good to earn good money. He's not saying there's something particularly wrong with money. He's saying you cannot make money and the accumulation of money and stuff, your goal and your aim in life, and follow him. They are mutually exclusive. In fact, he uses an Aramaic word, mammon. He names money, gives it a name because it has such a power in our lives if we allow it to have it. And Jesus is saying when it comes to kingdom living, when it comes to living a kingdom life, the place that you give possessions and money is absolutely critical in terms of the kind of life we live. And so then he tells this story. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns, build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Now, on the face of things, this guy is the kind of guy in our culture that would be applauded. You know, in the Western world, he's got business acumen. He's got vision. He's got drive. He's a success. But yet when it comes to kingdom living and kingdom values, there is something completely off about his life. To the point that God says, he's a fool. He's totally missed his life. And I want you to see some things that Jesus kind of mentions in the story. Firstly, Jesus says this, really easy to miss this, but really interesting. The first thing Jesus says, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. Jesus is very clear what yields the harvest. This man's wealth is not simply the product of his own hard work or cleverness. The ground yields the harvest. In other words, he receives something that's not all his own work. And the truth is, whilst we work hard and play our part in our wealth or our finances or our money, the truth is a lot of our wealth or money or possessions has very little to do with us in some measure. Often it's dependent on things like where we were born, 
what kind of family we were born into, what kind of education therefore I had, which none of which are really dependent on us. So my life would have been completely financially different if I'd been born to a family in rural Bangladesh, let's say. I had no control over the fact that I was born onto the hard urban streets of Bishop Stortford in Hertfordshire. Okay, I have no control over those things and none of us have any control of those things. So in many ways, a lot of our wealth, or at least some of our wealth, is because of circumstances that we had no personal control over. And when we realise that, when we realise that some of this is in spite of us and not because of us, it's, it's far more likely that we will be grateful, we'll realise, I'll realise I'm blessed, I will be able to acknowledge that I have been given resources, and therefore, critically, I'm far more likely to think of myself as a steward of what I have rather than an owner of what I have. And the ownership issue is absolutely critical when it comes to money and stuff like that. But not this guy. This guy is an owner through and through. He just thinks it's all mine, I made it, I worked for it, I deserve it, and I need more of it. Am I an owner or a steward? Are you an owner or a steward? As we move on from kings in this next season, I'm going to miss so much about uh, kings, so many people that we love, so much about our church family that we really love. But one of the other things I'm really going to miss, if I'm honest, is I'm going to miss my office. My office is a really nice office. It is the nicest office I've ever had. It is also, to be true, the only office I've ever had. But I remember when we moved back into the offices about three or four years ago and it all been done up and moving into this room. And I remember as I moved in thinking, man, this is really nice. And I felt a little whisper in my spirit. And honestly, I felt God say to me, remember, it's not yours. Yeah, you can enjoy it. Use it, obviously work hard, use it, enjoy it. But remember, in the end, you're just looking after it for a while. And ultimately, that is true of everything we have. Everything I have, everything you have. In the end, we're stewards. God has entrusted us with resources. Yes, to enjoy, but really to steward, to bless others, to give, to care for others through the use of those resources. And it's such an important kingdom truth. Here's the next thing I want you to notice. Verse 18 says this. Then the man says... This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And then I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Here's the thing about this story. The only person this guy listens to is himself. The only person you hear talking in this story and he can barely get an edgeways in with himself is himself. There's no one else in the story involved in his decisions. There's no advisors, no friends apparently speaking in. And throughout Luke's gospel, whenever we see someone just basically self-talking, it's always portrayed negatively. He simply talks to and listens to himself. And when we do that, when we live like that, when the only voice that has any sort of authority into our own lives and therefore into the choices we make, it's always dangerous. Because when we live like that, we can convince ourselves pretty much of anything if we want it enough. Now, I've seen this lots of times. I've been a pastor long enough to encounter people who are doing the most awful things, who are making the most terrible and destructive choices. 
but have convinced themselves that it's okay to do. And often in there is a complete lack of interest or complete inability to ask anybody else's opinion or to want to listen to anybody else's opinion. And it almost always leads to incredibly destructive choices and lifestyles. And when it comes to kingdom living, if you want to live a kingdom life, it is absolutely critical that you invite into your world and into your life people that you want to listen to, who you give a say in some of your opinions and some of your views. It's critical. One of my favorite Proverbs, Proverbs 15 says this, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. As Sarah and I have walked through these last couple of years, we have sought the advice of people that we love and respect. And sometimes they have said things to me which have changed the way I'm thinking. They've They've made me stop and reconsider what is right and maybe what God's calling us to do. And it's been so important. But this guy doesn't do this. In this story, he doesn't. Verse 18, then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns, build bigger ones, and then I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But then God says, you fool. Suddenly, God speaks, and it turns out there is someone with a lot more authority than him after all. I wonder how long God had been trying to speak to him, how many whispers this guy had ignored, how many checks in his spirit he'd dismissed, how many moments God had wanted to remind him of what really mattered and what really didn't. There's a famous psalm, Psalm 46 says this, verse 10, famous kind of verse you probably know. It says this, be still and know that I am God. It's a, it's a really beautiful phrase and it's kind of reassuring and it sounds so nice, doesn't it? But there is another way of reading that verse where God could be saying, be still. Like literally stop and listen and hear me. And there have been moments and seasons in my life and I'm sure in yours, but there's certainly been moments in my life where I know God is speaking to me and often, you know, sometimes those are very encouraging moments and very you know, reassuring moments, but sometimes they are very uncomfortable moments because I know sometimes God is calling me to kind of you know, maybe give something up or turn away from something or let something go that I really want to hold on to. And I need to hear him and listen to him. And before I ever worked for Kings, I... Uh, I, I was basically trying to make it as a musician and I was said lots of times in different places, I played a lot of music and made very little money, but it, it was something close to my heart. And then I went through a season where I knew God called me to give it up and it was, I wrestled with it, wrestled with it. But I knew just through preaches I kept hearing that felt like they were saying the same thing, passages I kept reading in the Bible, just a restlessness in my own heart that God was calling me to give something up and to move on. And it was hard, but, I, but also I, I said to God, like, I, I, in the end, I want what you have for me. And if you're calling me to let go, I will let go of what you're calling me to let go of. But this guy lives his whole life listening only to himself, thinking only about himself, and therefore being generous only to himself And when God does get to speak, God calls him a fool. And then God asks him a question, which he cannot answer. 
And God says this, all this stuff you've produced and stored up and laid for yourself, who gets the stuff now? That's the question. Now, Jesus is not teaching a nice little moral story where he says, look, folks, you cannot take it with you. That's not really what he's saying. What Jesus is doing is he's exposing the irony and he's saying, look, turns out the stuff wasn't his after all. It is a deeply sobering and challenging ending because the ending of our lives have a way of exposing the truth about how we've lived the rest of our lives. Jesus is saying, can't you see he tried to keep everything but got nothing. And in fact, he lost everything. He has lived a wasted life. He has missed his life. No one wants to be that guy. No one wants to waste their life. No one wants to miss what God has for them. I don't want to. I'm sure you don't want to. No one wants to be that guy. So in many ways, Jesus is making a huge warning, saying this, don't live with a foot in both camps. So it's a massive warning, but it's also a wonderful invitation that he's saying there is another way to live and another way to think. There is something, if you like, different to believe. And so he goes on to teach in verse 22, these amazing things. He says, why do you worry about your life? Why worry about stuff like food and clothes? How much worrying has ever changed anything? You can't even add a single hour to your life. You can't even do this very little thing, he says. Can't you see how God looks after the birds and how he dresses the flowers? Don't set your hearts on the wrong things. Don't you know how much more valuable you are? Amazing words. But right in the middle, Jesus has this killer phrase where he, it's like he diagnoses the root of all our issues, where he says this, if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith. Jesus is saying this, the reason why we get so anxious about stuff, why we so easily drift into wanting to accumulate more and hoard like the world, is because right in the heart of our hearts, we're not totally convinced that God is as good as he says he is. That we're as valuable as God says we are, that he will provide and look after us. And then Jesus gives us this amazing promise. So do not set your heart on what you eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things and your father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom or seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. One of the kingdom principles I have learned over the years is when it comes to change and growth, it's not about just resisting an old pattern of thinking or resisting old sinful actions. It, you have to replace them with something new. In other words, you have to believe something different. This man believes that if he can get enough stuff, then he'll have enough contentment and security in future. He'll somehow be able to buy his future. But Jesus is teaching him, or teaching us, that we have to, if you like, overpower. We have to trump that false belief with a much greater promise, namely that I have a father, that we have a father who loves us, cares for us, who is able to provide for us. And if we will put him first, he'll give us and provide for us all we need anyway, if we'll put him first. And that is one of the kingdom promises that we have to build our lives on. If you like, we have to fight unbelief with and wrong thinking with and things that can so easily draw us away with the truth that I have a father who cares for me, 
who wants to do me good, who has promised that if I put him first, he will look after me. I shall not want. Over these last couple of years, as we've thought about our shifting season and the decisions, sometimes very costly decisions, Sarah and I have had to kind of remind each other, we've had to pray back to God, no, I believe if we put you first, you'll look after us. It will be all right. We can trust you. You have to read it. You have to write it down. You have to memorize it. You have to pray it back. You have to hold on to it. I don't mind how you do it. You have to get it tattooed on your forehead. I don't mind. But if you want to live a kingdom life, you have to stand on promises like this, that if we put him first, if we are willing to make decisions based on that, then he will give us all the other things we need. He'll take care of it. It'll be okay. Last thing I want you to notice as we close, and we're going to finish. Right towards the end of the section we read, verse 35, Jesus says this about believers, be dressed, ready for service. Keep your lamps burning. In other words, he describes people who are ready. Now, interesting, that's a lift from Exodus 29 or 12, verse 11, where they're eating the Passover meal and they're ready to leave Egypt. Where it says this, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand, be ready. One of the keys to kingdom life, if you like, to living a life that God is calling us to, is to live this life in the reality of that life to come. That eternity is real, that we live in a conscious awareness that this earth, this life is not our home and that one day we will be with him. And Jesus is saying, you need to live this life in an awareness that that is true and that's real and that's coming. Let's stand or sit in your homes wherever you are now and let's pray together now. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for these amazing promises, kingdom promises. There's warnings, but also promises. And I want to pray, God, where all the things we've looked at today would bear fruit in our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.